1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Tis the season to get clobbered. I'm talking about earnings season, and this time it already feels like it's going to be a rough one because the market seems to be nauseated by the companies that have already imported, with the sole exception of tech, which is once again getting a pass. We could have more days like today where the Dow lost 174 points, S&P 0.62%, Nasdaq shed 0.63%. It was much uglier at one point during the day. What makes me so sure that earnings season could actually be so difficult? I think it's because we're rooting for lower inflation and less wage growth. But so far, we just aren't getting that scenario. Oh, yeah, we had a one-two punch today of a hotter-than-expected consumer price index coupled with a government bond auction of a 30-year Treasuries that fell flat, no, no, no. causing the bond market to get crushed while the yields soared. What the heck is the government even doing offering a 30-year Treasury right they now? They nothing! It's the Birkenstock of bonds. To reference an IPO that smelled like dirty feet, pricing 46 bucks just before falling to $37 and change after the first two days of trading. Another day like today. And it will be buy one, get one. BOGO. So much for Barbie shoes. The unforgiving backdrop means the market will come up with a negative interpretation for whatever comes our way. And the pain, the house of pain, tends to last for more than one session. Now, I don't believe in trying to game earnings because it's just too hard. But post earnings, I am flabbergasted at how tough this market's become. We do have a sneak peek of how it reacts to earnings, though. PepsiCo, the true starting gun of earnings season, and it reported an excellent set of numbers two days ago. Not only did PEP crush the estimates, they gave you a glorious forecast, and then uncharacteristically, they also gave you a forecast for next year. What a confidence booster. That was easy. Except today, the stock's down hideously. Not just because no one believes PepsiCo will be immune to the new weight loss drugs, but because it's now seen as too expensive. You aren't going to get a win in a stock that sells for over 20 times earnings, especially when the underlying company makes fattening foods, even if they promise to change their stripes or say make it to smaller packages. These new weight loss drugs are still roiling everything in the food and beverage space. Now, there's a lot of denial, and of course, it's a difficult conundrum for food companies that really haven't seen any decline in their businesses, like Pepsi. Pepsi actually saw an acceleration in sales. I thought the quarter was terrific. If they begin to say they adjust to these drugs, I mean, maybe I don't know, maybe smaller packages, they, they don't seem to know it's not the size of the package. It's the fact that these new weight loss drugs make snack food seem repulsive. They take away your cravings, and without the craving, a greased up potato chip is no longer appealing. Even if you still like them, you'll eat three and then you'll be full. Given that possibility, shouldn't PepsiCo's stock trade at a much lower price earnings multiple? It's a subjective business. Hey, well, should Pe- PepsiCo trade as low as the stock of ConAgra at 10 times earnings? Or maybe Kellanova at 13 times earnings? How about General Mills at 14 times earnings? Good company. But these food stocks were all way too expensive going into earnings season. And now we're finding out how people really feel about their suddenly not so safe business models with three and change dividend yields versus the 20-year Treasury safety blanket at just over 5%. And that's really the reason why the stock of PepsiCo can't catch a break. Hey, speaking of stocks that are traditionally valued, Hormel, a stock we've liked very much over time, Dividend Aristocrat. It ran into a buzz saw today at its analyst meeting. It was a pincer move, higher costs, and hidden worries about the GLP-1 drugs because they have plenty of stuff in their product line that could make you obese if you really went to town, that is, unless you were taking with or Moonjara, we're now in a moment where people don't know anything about these drugs, other than the fact that they're vultures pecking the liver out of the Promethean packaged goods companies. I always wanted to use Promethean, Prometheus in the show, and I just managed to work them in. Now, I, I don't, you shouldn't fear everything. You can always come into earnings season de-risked and ready for upgrades this morning. Walgreens, you've been there, I've been there, reported a suboptimal set of numbers. Carl continued to ask me about it. I told him it was time to. Buy, 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 buy. You see, there's a new person running Walgreens, a knowledgeable healthcare industry veteran. Exactly what is needed at this company, and he will reinvent it. Soon I'm betting it will no longer be what I call a theft machine. When I was in San Francisco a couple of years ago, I saw the person in front of me at a now-closed Walgreens rob the register using a knife. No one seemed to think anything of it. It was just a, an, another day at work. And then I was in Delray. I saw a thin man stuff his sweater to the point where it looked like he needed govy. I was appalled, so I mentioned it to the woman at the register. She said, oh, that's OK. He's in here all the time. Never thought of that. Now, I don't think that the new CEO, Tim Wentworth, Will zone out like that? I don't think he's going to tolerate having his stores get robbed so easily. More important, he'll be the person who steers Walgreens toward being not just a drugstore, but your healthcare company. It is—I've ho- been thinking about this, and I'm going to come up with something. It's a brainstorm. Stay tuned. Focus. It's hard to shoplift healthcare. I hated that a nearby Walgreens pharmacy where I literally spent thousands of dollars sent me some stupid form letter that's closing this week, like it's some sort of dollar store. I mean, it's bad enough that I can't get anyone to help me open a lot to buy some Gillette razor blades, which, of course, I now have on an Amazon subscription. Of course, I, I, I don't know if Wentworth can truly change the stores. Maybe the whole place should just be one endless line of vending machines. Either way, the healthcare business is a good one when it's not an afterthought. That's why I think Walgreens is a good buy here, even as I can only wonder how devoid of computing power and digitization this store might be. Hey, do not forget, Walgreens wholeheartedly embraced Theranos before it was revealed as a total fraud. Now, we're on the eve of the banks reporting, and I think these companies are already defrocked, de-risked, whatever you want to say. Can Bank of America, which sells at eight times earnings, slink down to seven? I'm not sure, but I know it has more room to run if the report say anything good. We're partial to Wells Fargo for the travel trust, which is coming in a blistering eight times earnings. Uh, with a 3.5% yield. Okay, not enough to be a trampoline. But if CEO Charlie Scharf could say anything positive at all, I think the stock could jump. The problem is that pesky yield curve. We know the bond market wrecks the banks at every turn, clubbing them like, oh, well, you know what I say. That said, we have to be wary of being too negative. If the bond market behaves like it had the last couple of days, if there's no new issues, issuance of long-term paper by the Treasury, they know nothing! if we get some less hot economic numbers, then we will stabilize. But right now, the combination of higher rates and these drugs that impact diabetes, obesity, renal failure, heavy drinking and strokes, and even high blood pressure, not, forget, not to mention sleep apnea, have been an anathema to the stock market, especially the overvalued packaged food plays. Bottom line, when the price journey's multiples are too high and the yields are too low, you better deliver a perfect quarter or else your stock's going to get pancaked problem is, PepsiCo did report a perfect quarter, and Hormel had a pretty darn good analyst meeting. But when we were finished, you were digging into a can of Spam with some Doritos. And I, I think a market fueled by Wagovi and Mujaro is not ready for that particular combination. Hence why I'm worried about earnings season, and I'm saying it could be a pretty rough one if the backdrop makes things more difficult. Unless a stock has already been hammered into... Oblivion. Randy in California. Randy. Hi, Jim. How are you today? Randy, I am in good shape. How about you? I'm great. great. Hey, I'm trying to diversify for my
0: grandchildren. And okay. uh, I want a stock that I can sit on for 10 or 15 years. That's and sweet. I'm looking at Caterpillar uh, for two reasons. Uh, the past decade, it's doubled its stock price. And uh, you got all the infrastructure money that's going to be trickling down to the state. So uh, your opinion Randy, on Caterpillar. Randy, you got what
1: I call horse sense. I think that Jim Mumblebee is an amazing CEO. He's turned Caterpillar around. The company actually, I, I'm not kidding. They're about trying to make money. I mean, I know that sounds like a shocker, but believe me, the old Caterpillar. Ha. Now, here's the thing. The infrastructure money's coming. The dividend is going to go up. There'll be a buyback. I think you should buy it right here. It, my travel trust owns it, and we're really proud of it, and we're going to buy more if it comes in. How about we go to Tyler in California? Tyler! Hey, big boy out from California. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well, getting over my quadruple hernia like it was yesterday. <laughs> nice. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Inst- Instacart. What do you think? Instacart? They also call that thing, what is it, like a uh, Crybaby or something, Maple Tree? Here's what I think about Instacart. They know nothing! Sell, sell, sell. The house of pain. They know nothing. Going back on that one because I like it. Did I miss? Oh. How about this one? And finally, I'm throwing this one in because I like the ball. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, my. And I did a 140 with a bad elbow. Brian in Pennsylvania. Brian. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, I just want to mention that even though I'm a Mets fan, I am rooting for the Phillies in the current series. Yes! Yes! <laughs> and it's tonight, and I tell you, Bryce Harper stared down that shortstop. I mean, what the heck? Making fun of a HOF not in my watch. What's going on? Yeah, well, Jim, my, my question um, is, over the summer I bought some shares in T-Mobile, and they recently announced the intention to pay a dividend, but they haven't declared the, the X date or the official amount per share yet. Um, what you, I want to know what your feeling okay, is on so, that, and do you think right. I should buy more? All right, let me tell you something. This thing is run by a guy by the name of Mike Sievert, and he is about as good as it gets, and they've done a fabulous job. It's the only one of the three telcos that I am recommending, and I think you can buy more T-Mobile. My hat is off to them. They do just They're just phenomenal. Okay, right now, the combination of higher rates and high multiples is setting us up for a little more dangerous earning season than I'm ready for. Hey, look, it never pays to be too negative, but it's becoming clear that the bar has been set a little high for a lot of companies. Oh, man, money tonight. I know the street shows its love for the job support, but I've set my sights on something new. The stealth contender in the data realm that you need to know about, I'm sharing why I think the CPI may soon see its star rise as the age of inflation anxiety continues to unfold. It is not like the age of Aquarius. Remember that play? I don't have any. <laughs> then, yesterday, we hosted our monthly meeting for CNBC Investing Club subscribers, and we couldn't get to all of your amazing questions. So, we decided to keep the momentum going with another round tonight. You don't want to miss it. And Delta Airlines, civil DAL, released third quarter earnings this morning, and despite a surge in profit, the stock fell in response. Now, we got to figure out what the heck happened. So, stay with Kramer.
2: Your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to three hundred and ninety-five dollars in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpresscom card
0: NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: I always tell you that the Labor Department's monthly non-farm payroll support is the single most important set of economic data we get from the government. Last Friday, we got a good one with strong job growth paired with lower-than-expected wage inflation. That number ultimately allowed the averages to roar and fueled this week's rally because it told us that the Fed is making real progress in the fight against inflation. But if the jobs report is the most important economic indicator, the Consumer Price Index, CPI, has become the second most important, at least in this era of concern about inflation. I call that, by the way, ECAI, Era of Concern About Inflation. That's an acronym that I just made up. Ever since we realized that inflation was a serious problem, really for the first time in decades, this market's taken its cue from the CPI. Remember, it was too hot yet still better than feared CPI reading on October 13th of last year. Last year, oh, that, that's when the averages bottom a year ago. More recently, the August two, 2023 CPI re- reading delivered on September 13th came in high, up 3.7% year over year, when Wall Street was looking for 3.6%, with the biggest month-over-month increase in over a year. And that's been disastrous for the stock market. A sign that inflation remains stubborn, and the Fed will need to lower the boom on us. A week later, they started talking about keeping rates higher for longer. In response, the averages got steamrolled for weeks. It was the CPI that did it. And that's why we were paying such close attention this morning when we got the CPI number. We had a little pool going, that kind of thing, for September 2023. And what did we learn? Well, first, got to go over this because it's really important. The so called headline numbers were a touch too high. The overall consumer price index reading was up 0.4% month over month and up 3.7% year over year. Both about 10 basis points, that's what we call them, that's that little number at the end, points higher than what Wall Street was looking for. In slightly better news, the core CPI reading, which strips out food and energy costs because they're so variable, was in line with expectations. That was good, up 0.3% month over month and up up, up 4.1% year over year. It was good, not great. But it was the too hot overall CPI reading that controlled today's action. The yield on the benchmark 10-year treasury, which was at 4.51 and tame just before the report came out, spiked to 4.65 and vicious just after 10 a.m before moving higher in the afternoon after a bad Treasury auction, and then it closed the day at 4.71. This was a very big move. Stocks take their cue from the bond markets, particularly when you have big moves like this. So the averages did roll over. In uh, pre-market trading, the Dow actually looked like it was going to be up 150 points. Once we saw these numbers, the whole market gradually rolled over as we interpret them, and they just looked more negative. That's the surface level story here. But the CPI report's chock full of information. Let's dig deeper. The overall consumer price index number can be broken down into four subgroups, food, energy, every other commodity, and services, excluding energy services. Ever since inflation peaked last summer, there's been real progress in all categories except for services. For the six CPI reports before today, energy inflation actually going negative. Food inflation has been declining steadily, and inflation from every other commodity had also pretty much gone away. So how did the September numbers turn out? Let's take a look, bucket by bucket. First, energy came in negative for the seventh straight month, thanks to the big decline in in fuel oil. That was down 5.1% year over year. And especially utility gas service, which was down about 20%. Having said that, energy's been helping less and less for the past three months. In September, energy prices were only down 0.5% year over year, thanks to the run-up in crude. Second, commodities excluding food and energy didn't hurt us either. That category was almost perfectly flat year over year. While we had low single digit price increases in new cars and apparel, with medical commodities up 4.2%, a little too hot, we also saw an 8% plunge in used car prices. Now, that specific mix seems vulnerable to me with the auto strike getting worse and new car prices already going up. Used car prices, according to CarMax, up a percent. You can't expect used car prices to keep falling, right? Going forward, me, I, you know, we, we might need to see prices to cool off in these other categories to make up for that. For the time being, though, this bucket isn't the issue. As for the food category, it could have been worse. Food inflation continues to decelerate. Probably don't know. it If you go to the supermarket, it seems like it's still high, but it's up 10, 3.7% year over year, mostly driven by restaurants, with a 6% increase in food away from home. Not great. But I- if food was the only problem, this would have been a very encouraging CPI report. The real issue here is services excluding energy, and that was up 5.7% year-over-year, way too high. And that's thanks to a 9.1% uptick in transportation services and a 7.2% increase in shelter prices, mainly rent. Medical care actually got cheaper, down 2.6%. That can't offset big spikes in housing and transportation. That's what Powell cares about. While these numbers are not good, It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that plane tickets have gotten more expensive, ride-sharing services have raised prices, and the rent's too darn high. That said, there's a case to be made that we're likely to get some relief on both fronts going forward. The airline stocks are hated right now because investors believe that consumers increasingly tapped out, while many airlines have added capacity, creating more competition. Meanwhile, as the job market cools, you'll see more Lyft and Uber drivers, which might help tamp down those prices, too. As for shelter, the stickiest of all, look, average mortgage rates are marching steadily towards 8%. You better believe that's going to impact the price of homes, which will eventually filter down to rent. Even before the CPI report came out this morning, there was an important report from appraisal firm Miller Samuel prepared for the big uh, real estate brokerage, Douglas Hellman. They say that the median rents actually slipped in September. Vacancy rates rose and new uh, lease signings went down. Now, one month is not a trend make, but it's encouraging. Now, despite the market-wide pullback today, I don't think many people overreact to the CPI. According to the CME's FedWatch tool, which measures the likelihood of a Fed rate hike based on Fed Fund's futures, the likelihood of a rate hike at the Fed's next meeting at the end of this month barely changed. It's now only at 11.8%, up slightly from 9.1% yesterday, still down significantly from 20% one week ago. In the end, the CPI report wasn't great. But it wasn't that bad either, and investors kept their composure, of taking the slightly too hot inflation number in stride. At one point, it even looked like stocks might end the day in positive territory. The rally started too late, as far as I'm concerned. And what happened that really put the kibosh on the rally was a, that bad Treasury auction of a 30-year offering by the U.S. government. That caused an increase in long-term rates, and that was hideous. Bottom line. I'm just glad we've gotten through the two major economic reports of the month without any major issues. Now we can finally move on to earnings season, which unofficially kicks off with a handful of big banks reporting tomorrow. At last, we can make our buy and sell decisions based on what individual companies are saying, not based on the latest macro developments. Personally, I can't wait.
0: Coming up, Delta's profit took off after a strong summer. But will fuel costs not to stock back to the economy cabin. Stick with Kramer.
2: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed.
1: What do we make of the airlines? I know you care about them very much after we heard about what Delta Air said this morning. The crew has been a wild ride. As the world recovered from the pandemic, the airline soared on the back of a post-COVID travel boom. That was that long-on-money-short-on-time thesis that I talked about constantly. The boom got rolling in the spring of last year, but by the end, we got to the end of summer. And I got to tell you something. It's already hitting some real turbulence. Thanks to the relentless rise in interest rates, we're... Worried about the health of the consumer, who's also still feeling the pinch from inflation. Doesn't help that student loan payments came back last month, uh, and actually this month. At the same time, the price of oil has rebounded hard from its lows, meaning the airlines are being s- squeezed by higher fuel costs. Since the highs in July, the JETS, JETS, ETF, which tracks the group, has fallen nearly 28%. And it wiped out all the gains from earlier this year. In part, that's because we've seen a bunch of negative pre announcements from the airlines. Hey, look, just last month, Spirit Airlines and Frontier both lowered their third quarter guidance. Spirit blaming heightened promotional activity. Frontier talked about operational challenges. These two budget airlines are heavily weighted toward lower income consumers, though, where, whereas the larger airlines tend to have more exposure to premium customers. So maybe Spirit and Frontier can't tell the full story. But we also heard from American Airlines. We get a call on that like every week. Who, despite raising guidance at the midpoint for available seat miles growth, lowered their forecasted total revenue per available seat mile, as well as cutting their operating margin and earnings per share guidance. American blame fuel costs. Fair enough. The, the one airline that we're really particularly interested in, though, is Delta. This has long been my favorite since 1982. I started recommending if you wanted an airline stock, you had to do Delta. Last month, Delta pre announced their quarter results at an industry conference. They actually raised the midpoint of their forecast for revenue and revenue per available seatbelt, but they also cut their earnings guidance thanks to fuel costs. In response, the stock tumbled 9% from the pre announcement through last night's close. This morning, we got the full results from Delta. What did we learn? All right, let's go over this. Starting at the top, Delta delivered 13% revenue growth, which is in line with the pre announced outlook as of ever, and actually slightly above what Wall Street was looking for. The small revenue beat was driven by slightly higher available seat miles, which is industry speak for capacity. While Delta's total revenue per available seat mile was down 2.5% year over year, that was also in line with their guidance. Overall, the company still managed to cobble together an $0.08 cent earnings beat of $1.95 basis. And by the way, that's a 35% earnings growth year over year. That's not shabby, yet the stock ended up falling more than 2% today. Because after a big pre-announcement, we care much less about the results, much more about the forecast of the conference called Commentary. Similar to what we heard in Delta's pre-announcement last month, they saw strength in higher-end customers. The pre- premium cabin, by the way, these are not businesses. Premium cabin, for the most part, is travel-related. Up 70%, coming in an impressive 39% total passenger revenues. First class and business class are doing fine. No wonder transport costs were big in today's CPI report, right? Hey, by the way, this is real bad news for low-cost ca- carriers like Frontier Spirit because it means that there's been a split between the high-end travel and low-end travel, with high-end holding up much better. Now, in an interview earlier today, With CNBC's CNBC's very own Phil Lebeau, Delta CEO Ed Bastian noted that he's seeing some softness in certain segments, mostly on the lower fare side of the industry yet. But also he stressed that Delta is very different from those low-cost carriers. Listen to this.
0: We've got premium, which is continuing to drive the strength of the business. We've got international, which was gangbusters. International revenues were up 35% themselves in the quarter. We've got a tremendous amount of business that's starting to return. We talked about post Labor Day, we'd see a tick up. We're seeing a lot of it starting to come back.
1: I like that. I thought he had a lot of good things to say. What about that health of the corporate traveler? LeBeau also took the question at Bastion, and the Delta CEO noted that the airline's seen about 10 more points of market share return in the last 30 or 40 days, luckily driven by all the companies that have mandated return to the office of late. That means no more Zoom, got to go see the customer. Of course, if everything's so great, then why did the stock only get hit today? Isn't that the answer? Well, it was the guidance. While Delta raises full year revenue growth forecast to 20%, that was a high end of the previous range. They also cut their operating margin growth. Your guidance, fifty basis points, slashed the earnings guidance to the low end of the prior range. Delta been talking about making six to seven bucks per share. Now they're saying six to six in a quarter. That doesn't cut it. On top of all that, the company cut its free cash flow forecast from three billion to two billion. That's terrible. Uh, Again, the culprits are higher fuel and maintenance costs. Honestly, if Delta was going to cut its full year earnings and cash flow numbers, they should have got all the negatives out. When, at least all at once say when they pre-announced the downside last month, better just rip off the band and have this drip trip of bad news. That really hurts the stock. So what do we do? What do we make of the quarter? Despite the guide down, a lot of what I saw from Delta actually makes me feel more sanguine about travel. Rather than an end to the travel boom, we might just be experiencing some turbulence. Of course, this doesn't apply to the entire industry. We think the low-cost carriers are going to struggle. But Delta's going increasingly high-end. That business is holding up fine. How about the cost side of the equation? While Matt done a good job of cutting the costs that they can control, the airlines are still hostage to oil prices and with another war in the Middle East. It's hard to argue the fuel costs are going to come down too much from these levels. Here's the bottom line. The most important airline is reported. Delta's results tell me that you need to get a lot more selective if you want to own any airline here. If you're willing to stick your neck out and own one and make no mistake about it, that's what you are doing, sticking your neck out. It needs to be like Delta with a high percentage of premium seating and a big international business, because that's what's working here. Given that the stock's already down nearly 30 percent from its highs in July, you got my bust to hold on to this. But remember, you got to be prepared for turbulence. Joseph in New York. Joseph. Hey, Jim, how we doing? Joseph, I'm doing fine. How about you? Oh, fine. Thank you. I'm a senior here. I'm sitting on the deck having a cocktail, and I thought I'd call you for some insight. Hey, Can uh, I join I, you? Can I just join yeah, you? Yeah. I have right now, I would like a, I, 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 I think a Tanqueray and Tonic. Okay. A, 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 slice of, a slice of lime, please. Okay. Go I ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I but, like the anyway. fever tree. Just Hey, uh Hey, I listened to the CEO of a company there. He sounded very optimistic. He has some good plans. Uh, I see there's a lot of insider buying. A lot of the officers have bought shares What's your insight on Lyft, LY. Oh, I'm glad you I think I went positive on David Risher because I think he's so good. Do you know a couple people called me and said, Jim, you know, he's rusty, he doesn't have it. I don't know. I think he's terrific, and we need two of these. We can't just have Uber. My betting is on—I am this with Rish. You can't see it. But I'm taking all the chips and going in on Rish. How about Mary in Idaho? Mary. Hi, Jim. Nice to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. My grandma's name is Mary, so you make me feel good about this. Oh. Not a well, Mary. Not Mary. <laughs> great, great news. I do feel better about it. Okay. Um,
2: I, um, due to the UAW strike continuing and expanding and the pullback it seems to have on the manufacturer's stock prices, um, I hold a a position with both uh, Stellantis and Ford. Okay. And I'm wondering uh, what your recommendation is to
1: buy more, um, hold what I've got, you have to hold what I've got. And come in. The price earnings multiples are so low that it tells me that the earnings are too high, the estimates are too high. I thought that Ford was great to put out the best and final. My travel trust owns it. It's a horrible chart. And the, the union, I think, I, I have to call them out. I think the union should go down the table and really start doing the deal here because it's going to hurt a whole country. All right. Delta results are signaling that it's time to get more selective within the sector. But if you want to stick with an airline here, you have to pick one with a business model like Delta. Hey, much more mad money. One of my favorite aspects of the show is getting to talk directly to Kramer Americans. So tonight we're taking some questions from you, CNBC Investing Club members, if you're not a club member. What the heck are you waiting for? Then yesterday, we got news that Exxon was buying Pioneer Natural Resources and deal valued at $60 billion. But with the FTC watching all those mega-mergers like a hawk, should there be concern when it comes to getting the deal done? I don't know. We own Pioneer. I'm going to blow it out, in part because of this worry. And, of course, all your calls, rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. You might have missed it. Yesterday, we held our Investing Club monthly meeting where my colleague Jeff Marks and I go through the thought process for the club, discuss our current holdings, and take some member questions. It is one of my favorite things to do because I love answering the questions from club members. And we always have more questions than time to take. So that's why we thought maybe we'd do some leftover ones tonight and give you a taste of what our monthly meeting looks like. It's a different part of me, a little different. You, know, you get a little mix it up here. Uh, and if you're not a part of the club and want to be, and I want you to be, well, you can be a member. You can open the camera on your phone and scan this QR code. I even know how to do this. You do it by the one behind me, and then you become a member or go to CNBC.com slash investing club. See this? this? I have this on my shirt. And like I have one of these, you hold your camera up to it and it tells you what to do. But you have to get the little yellow things. My daughter told me to wait for those and she was very angry once when I couldn't figure it out. But now I'm good to go because I figured it out. So can you. I like your menu, you know. All right. First up, we're taking a question from Brian, who's from Hawaii, who asks, what do you think about the direction of the oil as an investor? Is it time to exit oil before it heads farther south? I, have, so I rely on technicians on this and also Rusty uh, Brazil from rbn.com. Uh, My technicians, Carly Garner, they both thought it would stall out between 95 and 100. I shared that with you. It was like an exact bingo call. And I think that these stocks, you know, we had a huge home run in this Pioneer. Huge, OK, because we got the Exxon deal. I think you should always have one or two of these. We have a natural gas stock called Cotera. I think you should own it, all right? We've interviewed the company a couple times. It's just fantastic. Why don't we take a second question? This one is from Jim, who says, Jimmy, everyone when I was growing up in Philadelphia and Winmore, they all call me Jimmy. I need some love for SoFi. I know you said earlier this year that uh, Anthony, this is Anthony Noto's year. What's up with SoFi? Okay, listen, SoFi was at four when we were at the CNBC, uh, the big uh, CEO council. And he came on, and he said, listen. I am not in trouble. The bank is fine. We got no real bad loans. We're doing terrific. I asked if we needed to do equity. He said, absolutely not. And then we proceeded to get a run to where I can't even reach. That's how high it is. Now, we then got hit with a wave of profit taking. And then if you notice right here, this is where all the banks went down, including SoFi. Now. All the other banks, though, didn't go up like this. They're all still down. So I think we have to think twice about being critical about Anthony Yano. I think he's doing a very, very good job. All right, now let's. Uh, this the bank stocks are, they're horrible. Now let's go to Wesley, who asks, "I'm watching the food sector stocks: Crater, Conagra, Campbell's, uh, D A R, which is like I don't know. Really, don't want to own Darling. That's not really a food stock. It's more of a rendering company. Uh, they're at the 52-week close." The P.E. values are near single-digit. Why are they so out of favor? Should I take a small position? Is there a leading indicator of a change in direction? Okay, so here's what's happening. There's two-fold things. One is, is that they tend to have good yields, and the yields tended to buoy them, keep them up, because Treasuries were so low. But now Treasuries, you can get a 20-year piece of paper, which is my fave, for 5%. So that's risk-free. You get your money back, give them 5%. There's You don't get that out of a Conagra, which also have 5%, okay? Campbell's has a little bit lower than that. And then the second thing is these glp 1s came along. Now, these are very specific drugs. We go with Govi and uh, Munjaro. And these are drugs that if you take them, you shoot up. Uh, you, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say shoot up. You take this. It's like an injectable. That's what they call injectable. And it's 1.0. Per, uh, 1.0 and you can put it in your leg, or you put it in your stomach, wherever you want. And then you start losing weight. And if you start losing weight, you know what happens? You start you're eating less because you don't want the food. So you have these companies like Campbell's Soup, and let's say you would have, this is a good example, let's say you had the chicken gumbo. I like the chicken gumbo very much. Well, you might have, you know, you put a can, then you put a can of water in, and then you put it in the microwave. You would only feel like after you had half of it, like, man, I'm done with this whereas you probably would have just scarfed it up before. And that's the problem. The volumes of these food companies, you just don't need as much. And that's why their stocks are going down, because people feel as these things become uh, more mainstream and maybe the insurance companies pay for it, you won't need the volume of food. That's why the food stocks are in what I call in flocks. All right, let's go to another question. Another gym. We have a lot of gyms here. Uh, Boeing stock continues to slide. What are the factors for deciding that it's an opportunity to buy yet? You know, the David Faber used to make fun of me because we own Boeing for the trust. We finally gave up, it was just too horrendous. Now, the problem with Boeing is very specific. I think that it is not. Run as well as it should be. I think you need to be hands on. You got to be in the factories every minute. You got to be talking to people. You got to be building coalitions. You got to be knowing what's, building, honestly, with your workers. You got to figure out what's going on. You got to make sure there's no errors. And Boeing, I don't think, done that. If I were to run Boeing, hey, don't put anything out. I like to run a big company before I'm done. Uh, I would be in that factory floor every day, going to the south, going to west, south, uh, northwest, because that's what it takes to build a plane, okay? Boeing builds the best planes, but you need that help. Next, we have a question from Robert in Florida who asks, do you think NEE is a good long-term buy at these levels after the big price drop? The answer is no, and I'll tell you why. Because I can't figure out why this one fell so deep, and I have made a ton of calls on next year. It is just acting like so funky that I cannot get in it. Uh, when you, I have to make a lot of calls to figure out what the heck's going on and then forget about it. That means it is way too hard for everybody because I got contacts everywhere, and I can't figure the heck out. All right, Club Man, you want to join the club? Hey, let's say you're Regina Gilgan. She's my executive producer. She wants to join the club. She should take her, account, her cell phone. Up, up, she has a flip phone. Never mind. Man, money's back in for the break.
0: Coming up, Kramer takes her calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next.
1: It is time. It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to tell you to bye bye bye. Sells us Do we kill the stock? What's number? Step free you plant yourself. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, ski daddy? It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Raj in California, Raj. Yes, sir. This is Raj, the guy from California. I'm wondering with a charge point. No, I mean, that's losing money. Sell, We're sell, not going to buy sell, it. just not going to touch it. Let's go to Tibbs in Indiana. Tibbs! Hey, now, Lim, Tibbs here. I'm wondering what you think about Fathom Pharmaceuticals. ticker PHAT. Thank you. Uh, way too speculative. Gastro is uh, very tough to beat. I would sell, sell the stock. Let's go to. Mike in Nebraska. Mike. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing well, Mike. How about you, partner? I'm doing good. I want to know about uh, Luminar Technology. L-A-Z-R. No, losing too much money. Again, auto-related. We have to say no to that one, too. How about we go to uh, John, Illinois. John. Hi, Jim. In John. 2024, we got AMD, Intel, Google, and Microsoft putting out AI chips. What is the effect of this on Taiwan Semiconductor? I like Taiwan Semiconductor very much, and I think it should be bought. My only risk there is China, and I am concerned, but I think it will be okay. Let's go to George in Arizona. George, hi there, Jim. This is George from Green Valley, Arizona. Good, yeah, on the show. What you think about Axon? I've been Oh, I like that, that song uh, very much. A very well-run company. They do a lot of good things. I think it has been uh, one of my longest-standing recommendations, and you should buy the stock. Let's go to um, Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Dr. Kramer, thank hey. you for taking my call. No pleasure. My pleasure. What's happening? Okay. Uh, bought this semiconductor stock as a spec. Develops uh, cutting-edge tech technology using gallium nitrate. Also, they've just been certified carbon neutral, the first semiconductor company in the world to be so certified. So should I be buying more, ticker NVTS, Navitas Semiconductor? No, so many semiconductors are making a ton of money here. We're not going to buy one that is actually losing money. So we're going to have to say no to Navitas. Now we want to go. Um, not sure who we should go to. Maybe we go to to Mitty. Smitty. Smitty, Actually, Smitty. What's up? Hey, Jimmy Chill. Um, I am fourth time caller, very long time, and a very happy club member. Oh, thank you. I hope you liked yesterday's uh, club meeting. We tried so hard, Jeff and I, to put together a good narrative. Hope you liked it. It was awesome. Jimmy, the company I'm calling you about again is um, there has been a lot of insider buying. To the tune of about two and a half months ago, a director bought $41 million worth of stock. Wow. Um, About two weeks ago, um, another director bought $10 million worth of the stock. Okay. And then I believe the CEO even bought some. Um, the company I'm calling about is Biohaven. Oh, okay. Um, this, is, uh, this is Vlad Church, and uh, I think Vlad is incredible. Oh, my God. The stock just had such a big move. I'm, I don't know. I mean, you know Vlad. He did Neurotech. I was part of Neurotech. Neurotech is fantastic. He's American Migraine Foundation uh, chief spokesperson, uh, and he developed it. So I've said good things about him. What can I say? Oh, Let's go to Kevin in, o- in Ohio. Kevin. Oh, Kramer, what's happening, man? I don't know, big guy. You tell me. All right. So the, the, the street's telling me this week that there was a lot of love for defense contractors out there, all right? Correct. Well so let's talk about someone. Let's mix it up a little bit, all right? Who hasn't sure. been getting a lot of love out there? That's right. RTX Corp. Yeah, RTX. that's because of their so commercial business has gotten very tough because of that yeah. problem with that one engine. So, I mean, I don't think we can touch it still. I think I like your spirit, but you want to be in Northrop Grumman or you want to be in Lockheed Martin. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, is Exxon mobile enough to steer this merger past an adversarial FTC? Cast up for a good one. Kramer has more
1: next. isn't big enough to sustain itself, why not merge with a larger operation and make more money together? For me, that defines Exxon's acquisition of Pioneer Natural Resources, a big charitable trust name, where Pioneer shareholders, like the trust, will get almost $60 billion worth of Exxon stock. But what if the Federal Trade Commission is against it? What if the government says it's anti-competitive or argues it'll stifle innovation? That's certainly the reaction many of us expect from this draconian FTC. After all, Pioneer controls 9% of production in the oil-rich Permian Basin in Texas. Well, Exxon's got 6%. Together, that's 15%. In the past, the regulators would never have a problem with one oil company having fifty percent of particular shale play. But our current FTC chair, Lynna Khan, well, she's much more ideologically opposed to mergers than her predecessors. So let's pull apart this deal. If you look at the deck for the merger, Exxon emphasizes that by combining their technology, they'll give a great return to pioneer shareholders. They talk about generating double-digit returns by controlling costs, so the deal should be immediately accretive to earnings. Overnight, it creates the best outfit in the Fukun Permian Basin. There are $1 billion in synergies by the second year, even better by joining forces. They'll produce 150,000 more barrels per day than they could do separately. That's what a merger is supposed to be about. Winners on all sides. And yet, you know what I heard instantly from a lot of people who follow mergers? The Federal Trade Commissioner, Lena Khan, will try to block it. Now, I don't know if that's true, but given the FTC's recent track record of making specious arguments to block large deals, I can certainly see them go there. Maybe the FTC will hold the Pioneer such an important supplier for gas stations that the combined entity is going to foreclose its rivals for its own economic benefit to consumers' detriment, which is the argument the FTC used when they tried to block Microsoft's takeover of Activision. They claimed it could clog competition. Maybe the FTC will say that there will be less innovation because drillers might not want to work for the combined entity for some bizarre reason. Maybe there will be cross-budget bundling, also known as synergies, that include many firings with workers paying the price. In other words, it'll be the usual anti-business litany of charges meant to stop this deal from happening, because Lena Khan pretty much sees all mergers as anti-competitive attempts by the rich, by the way, to get even richer at the expense of everyone else. I say that's just free market capitalism, like it or not, unless I checked, like it or not, capitalism is legal in the United States. And that's why the FTC might try to block this deal on the thinnest of pretexts. Although when they do this, they tend to get challenged in court. And lately, judges have started to shoot them down. I think this attitude of theirs makes no sense because no competition would be stifled here. The market share is too small. 15% of one particular region, that's nothing. Rockefeller standard oil all in 100% of the entire market. Now that's concentration. If the FTC does block the deal, they'll be keeping 150,000 uh, barrels per day off the market at a time when the whole country is desperate to lower the price of the pump. I think the deal will also keep the cost of drilling down by creating excess supply of labor that knows about drilling. In other words, America benefits from Exxon acquiring Pioneer. You benefit. But Lena Khan's FTC is such a dogmatic hatred for all mergers that they might try to fight this win anyway. If that's the agency's new ethos, I wish they'd just come out and say it. Right now, lawyers are telling executives do not make any acquisitions because the FTC will try to block it no matter what. They say, wait for a new chairperson. I think that is the start. You know, that's the state of play right now. The current FTC may be divorced from the laws they're supposed to enforce. Here's what I have to say to Lena Khan: Either do your actual job or own up to your anti-business agenda and simply announce that all deals will be blocked no matter what. Does it matter that capitalism, the law of the land? Not to this FTC, not to Lena Khan? Unfortunately, the Biden administration doesn't seem to have a problem with Khan. Presumably, they could rein her in if they wanted to. I mean, they must like the way she thinks. Fortunately, the judiciary hasn't gone crazy, so they have overruled Kahn's FTC with some cases, but fighting them in court makes the whole process of merging a lot more complicated. The FTC stance has a huge chilling effect, and that is bad, I would contend, not just for business, but for everyone. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last Call starts now.
2: warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.